0: Some years ago now, a friend of mine, Caroline, embarked on a Swedish death cleaning of her home up in the hills of El Cerrito. It was as simple as it was intense. Methodically, room by room, category by category, she, she sifted through her belongings. The goal was to get rid of the things she didn't want her kids to have to deal with when she eventually died. She was spurred on by a quirky little book by Margarita Magnusson called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. It's filled with actually really comical tales of sorting through a lifetime of possessions uh, interspersed with with the author's whimsical cartoons uh, depicting this process and lots of no-nonsense advice for confronting the fact that every one of us will die. Caroline's sojourn into death-cleaning made people awfully nervous. What, what brought this on, they asked her. Why, why now? After all, Caroline was in her 40s. She's an amazing athlete, a mom to teenagers. Perhaps it was a fine time to update her will. But to begin purging her belongings with an eye towards death? Well, that was another thing entirely. The honesty of this straightforward approach to mortality can be unsettling. We are so practiced in denying death, so skilled in pretending like it. Maybe, probably will never come for us. Tenderly reaching for this honesty is why we're here tonight. You are dust. I, I am dust. We're here together for this long and somehow also fleeting moment. Dust miraculously organized into breathing, moving wonders. Jesus takes his time getting there in today's gospel. He starts by teaching some practices that might help his students along the way, responding to those in need finding space to settle into prayer, choosing to empty ourselves. He focuses them on the why of these practices, showing how the same action could lead them closer to the Holy One or send them off in the wrong direction. But any one of these practices, giving alms, praying, fasting, These are not the end in and of themselves. Jesus is easing them into his real lesson, one that that can land so heavily in their hearts. Most of this, he tells them, most of this, gesturing all about, "You, you can't take it with you. They don't have much, but the stark reminder must still sting. The disciples have only just left their homes to follow him. They've clambered up the side of a mountain with the crowds to listen to him preach. And Jesus, Jesus has scarcely begun his ministry here. And now, sitting on the rocks and in the dust, still breathing hard from the climb, the, the sun beating down on them until sweat beads up on their foreheads, all of them very much alive. Now, Jesus asks them to live with the end in mind. I imagine he's smiling with his eyes, his voice gentle even as he spreads out this unflinching honesty before them friends he says friends we are going to die what can we carry what can we give margarita magnuson is exceedingly practical as she writes towards a similar sentiment. She explains that she is somewhere between 80 and 100 years old, and that she has cleaned out after other people's deaths enough times now that she'd really like to spare her own children the headache. She offers an orderly approach to living more intentionally, finding a way to get rid of all the junk and leave our loved ones with things of, of beauty, of meaning. Listening to my friend Caroline's experience and then picking up this funny, quirky book myself, I, I felt curious. And so actually just this last weekend, I began experimenting with death cleaning my own home. I felt the momentum mounting, my kids got in on the action, and the pile grew higher and higher on our coffee table and then counters as uh, my husband, Jesse, graciously scurried to try to find people who might want all these things. I've been amused by Magnuson's cheerful realism about our mortality grateful to have a little more space on our shelves but beyond the practicality of it i began noticing how the practice drew my attention away from some of the stuff and towards considering what does last what lasts that i have been given Long past the deaths of these people I love, what might last that I could leave behind? I thought of Judith Esme, a woman uh, about this tall who walked to church in New Hampshire in sub-freezing temperatures into her 90s. I remember sitting at the end of a long table as a freshman in college as she was leading a Bible study. She, she held up this incredibly well-worn Bible and very, uh, just, just with all the spirit in the world, she exclaimed, every bit of this is true. And some of it even happened. She gave me permission to wrestle to fall in love with the stories and ask real and searching questions of them. Her blessed permission remains with me. I recalled my great my great aunt Allie who would periodically mail me photographs she'd taken of birds and wildflowers when I was a child, giving me hints on how to identify them, teaching me that that slowing down for this delight, reveling in it, was entirely worth my time. Her delight remains in me. And I think on the beloveds whose presence alone was a gift, whose love was more than enough. This presence, this love, they remain. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus urges us. It's a way of living with the end in mind, eyes wide open. And Magnuson is spot on. We need this kind of honesty. That's why her advice for death cleaning is fabulously practical. But true to form, Jesus adds a twist. We we need to remember how often he speaks in parables, turning our expectations upside down, how he offers beautiful mystery to his followers, Inviting them into the wondering, into the grappling. I believe that's some of what he's doing here, too. Yes, he's reminding us that we're going to die. So much of what we strive for will rust and crumble and fall away. And he's pointing to so much more. The heaven that Jesus talks about emerges at the end, in the the fullness of time, yes. And it is also always now. The kingdom of God is at hand. He tells us this, this realm of unspeakable goodness is breaking in all around us, all the time. He calls us to store up treasure for the heaven that is right now. As I sift and puzzle and let go of all this stuff in my home, the work pulls me in in deeper into the honesty of it all. The concrete implications of the time when I will no longer draw breath, yes, but maybe more pointedly, It has me considering how this honesty can teach us how to live well, how to love well, now, with whatever time we have. I stack books to give away, slowly realizing that I will probably never read them. And I wonder what it might look like to to let go of a similarly tall pile of resentments. I excavate games my children once loved, the boxes now tattered, pieces probably missing. And I consider what worries I've accumulated that maybe don't serve anymore that maybe never did. I pick up little gifts, trinkets that I know came to me with such love and I consider the possibility that the love exists beyond them. I puzzle over what I might let go of and what I absolutely want to hold on to. And this practice teaches me again about how I want to try to live. We name how brief this all is, not to be morbid, but to come more fully alive. Gathering this treasure can take any number of forms. We can mark birthdays with wild abandon, even when they do not end in a five or a zero, because That singular trip around the sun is a magnificent thing. We can revel in the blossoms that spring out this year, this week, right out there, not knowing how many more times we might see them, but also just because they are so good. We can reach for one another and remember to tell each other thank you, and I love you, and you are a joy. We do it both remembering that we're finite, and because this is the realm of God, drawing close right now. Tonight's truth is simple and gritty and gorgeous. We remember that we are dust and look for the goodness and the love that will always remain. We remember that we are dust so that together we may truly live.